0: You're listening to The Originators A 2FM collective podcast Hi, I'm Rick O'Shea and welcome to this episode of RTE 2FM's podcast series Originators Throughout the series I'll be talking to Irish under 35s from sometimes wildly varying fields who've found success and finding out how it happened and who they really are this episode was recorded in the behind-the-scenes bit of Dublin Airport, a place the public aren't normally allowed into. And that's because Lisa Cusick has the most extraordinary route to the job she always wanted and the job she now holds, as a pilot and first officer with her Lingus. I started off by asking her about when her interest in planes started, and as it turned out, it was when she was a kid.
1: Well I grew up in Lucan beside um, Western Airport and so the small aircraft were constantly going around in the same pattern, the same, the same direction every single day and um, I always just questioned how do you get up there, how, how are they staying up in the air so I went up with my dad and I did a lesson at 13 and that was it. Seal the deal. And I actually didn't know, I didn't know there was a career, you could get paid for it. I didn't think about it. You know, my dad said, that's something you could could consider doing. And then took it from there. Just got lessons every Christmas. The good man, Santa Claus, brought me a lesson every year. It's quite expensive to train. So it's about 200 euro to do one lesson for an hour. So I got one for birthdays, Christmas, stuff like that and yeah so i set about thinking what could i do that might help me in the future to become a pilot so that was choosing physics maths those type of subjects science subjects which didn't really come that natural to me if i'm honest and um so yeah i chose physics my leaving cert and got a lot of grinds got extra help same with maths and um when i graduated then there there was no actual Unless you have €100,000, which is what it costs to be a pilot, there's no no course, there's no degree or anything. Well, there wasn't when when I graduated or when I left school. So I went to DCU and decided um, I'd get a degree um, much to my parents' uh, delight that I was going to college and at least I'd have something to fall back on then. If yeah, it did they effort. ever
0: think this was the just in case the whole flying yeah, idea doesn't yeah. work, you'll have, nice, yeah. have a nice degree Pretty to fall much. back on. Which,
1: by the way, wasn't an option. <laughs> it was just doing it to... I kind of thought one day it will sound to me, but it, it was really hard. I was in a class with just complete geniuses. I've never met people like these before. They were lovely, but they were physics to the core. They were Sheldon Coopers. Of yeah, physics school. nerds, yeah. Are, are, they're and, hardcore yeah, people. And so intelligent. And so again, I struggled with that. First year was quite a struggle. And then um, I continued on, I got into it. And in third year, then I did work experience And my whole class went, well, most of my class would went to Intel, Hewlett-Packard, those type of places. But I came to Dublin Airport, of course. I managed to convince them it was something to do with uh, physics. And um, I worked out in the air traffic control tower, which is across the way there.
0: Hang on, how do you swing this one? Okay, you're going, it's something (laughs) kind of to do with physics, but it involves me having to go to air traffic control in Dublin Airport. That's, That's not easy. I know.
1: How I sold it to them was, planes only fly because of the laws of physics, okay. which is true. And radars only work because of the laws of physics. And I just brought everything into it, pitched my idea and they bought it, so I was thrilled. So I went up to, to air traffic control and I got three months work experience there. And I had such a good time, they asked me to stay on for another three months. And at the end of it, then they gave me 10 flying lessons as a gift to say, thank you. And that was that was it. I was just completely, yeah, this is definitely what I want to do now. I still had another year left in college, so I was doing one flying lesson every Wednesday, which I gave 100 percent to. No studying in college on on every Wednesday. I was going, OK, today is the big day, you know. So then I had to knuckle down and I graduated then with um, honours degree in physics and came straight back to Dublin Airport with that degree.
0: What, what I love is that you are so used to telling this story that you skipped over seven really interesting things that hang on I want to ask you really? is there such a thing as work experience in air traffic control? No. Did you just fabricate yeah. that? You yeah. made that up as yeah. your own work experience. Yes.
1: Yeah. that's exactly what I did. I wrote them a letter and they took pity on me and they took me in and I'm still really good friends with them I go over and say hello every now and again and they're all so delighted for me because they could see that's really what I wanted to do
0: So for most people if they've done what you do and they have this passion
1: yeah.
0: and they've decided to go and do your degree yeah, and you still don't have the 100 grand mm-hmm. so that's the big hurdle here, well, yeah. you know, doing the degree is probably the big yeah, hurdle, but, yeah. but you would still have to get over that last thing. So mm-hmm. what happens? What did you do next?
1: I came back to the airport, um, Dublin airport, and I managed to get a job as a flight dispatcher out on the ramp. And most people don't have a clue what a flight dispatcher is, but in brief description would be when the plane gets loaded with bags and passengers and everything like that, if they all sat in the back and all the bags are in the back, the plane would tip. So a flight dispatcher prepares kind of, I suppose, calculation and they balance everything out on the plane so that when it takes off, it's in trim and so forth, and also coordinates the turnaround. So the plane comes in, they get the passers off, is the fueler there, is the caterer there, is the cleaner there, speak to the crew, give them the weather. You're just in it. You couldn't be more involved than being a flight dispatcher.
0: Now comes the point in this story at which you tell me how cupcakes become an integral part of this line in your life.
1: Okay, so I was saving up working on the ramp and I saved up €20,000 and I went to the bank and I asked for a loan of €100,000 and they were like, what? You want to be a pilot? Okay, do you have a job at the end of it? And I said no, I don't have a job. So they said, okay, listen, save up thirty thousand and then come back to us. So I saved up thirty thousand euro, came back a year later, and the recession unfortunately was in full swing, and they refused me. So I was completely devastated then. And at that point, I just thought I need I need to earn more money. So before the cupcakes, I qualified as a personal trainer in my spare time, and I was earning a bit of money from that. Which again, in a recession, people weren't really forking out for. So um, my brother had asked me to bake cakes for his girlfriend for her birthday and i can't bake i can't even make a slice of toast without burning it on. I'm a complete disaster so when he asked me so why did he it, ask you then? i have no idea he, he was so you? stuck he was like oh, i got a nothing and you know and i said okay i'll give it a go so i made these cakes and he said they were amazing cakes make some more and i'll pay you and i went okay so the penny dropped and i made more and everybody was kind of praising them and i was a light bulb went off and within a week i'd booked a flight to uk It was um, a course to bake and decorate cupcakes. It's a one-day course. I went over, I did the course, and I flew back home, set up my business. I started um, at home just making uh, cupcakes for friends, family, christenings, those sort of kind of small events. I brought them into work. And Dublin Airport, everybody, all the staff, and I still can't go to Butler's for coffee without someone going, we got a cupcake. So everyone was so supportive of my job. They were buying them for the airlines we were looking after, and it just absolutely exploded. And I set up a Facebook page, and before I knew it, I was doing celebrities, weddings. I never really expected it to get as big as it did. So So. does
0: there come a point here? Is there a moment in your head ever where you go, this could be a really good way to do a whole
1: (laughs) business? There's a
0: whole career here. This could be an empire. Mm -mm. I could be franchising this out.
1: No not even one split second and what people don't know is I actually hated every single second of it. I was there with my one arm and my mixer and I could only make 36 at a time and the labour involved people don't realise is incredible and there was times where it was midnight and I was in the kitchen and I was head to toe and flare and I was like am I ever actually going to be in the skies?
0: Then when comes the moment that you realise oh I might be able to do this?
1: I guess what happened was Erlingus advertised their cadetship which is the golden ticket of all tickets. In the world to me really and it hadn't been advertised since september 11th obviously because of the tragic events there when it came up i just thought this is it i've been waiting for this moment i felt like all my life i applied online it was a series of aptitude tests and i just got a, an email two weeks later i was walking out of work out of here my steel toe shoes and my high vis vests and up uh, oh, pops air lingus you, you haven't been successful thanks very much Jog on, basically, and um, still breaks my heart a little bit. I got into my car. I drove into town in Toconnell Street, parked my car. And I ran upstairs into Easton's and I bought five aptitude book tests and I just did one every day until it it came up again because that was the only thing standing in my way of an interview. All I wanted was to meet them and show them how much I wanted it and how much it meant to me. But that was the first hurdle. So that's what I did. With that, I just decided uh, that's enough now with the cupcakes. I've saved up all this money and I decided I'm actually going to start flying myself. I booked a ticket to America and I said, I'm going to go and do my private pilot's license. I had about 15 hours already uh, flying done. And I just thought I needed to get the ball rolling myself. So I booked a ticket to America and that was for about six months later. So I was delighted with that. I kind of thought, right, I have a goal now, I'm heading off to America to get my private license. And about two months later, up popped the chip again and I went in, did the aptitude test. That was fine. And about two weeks later, I got a phone call um, to do a group interview and a heart attack obviously I was so nervous in the interview i came out and cried for two days because i was so nervous i couldn't be myself and everything so i just parked it forgot about it and i went off to america and that's when i i did my private pilot's license over there with a few dramatic events or two
0: you can't skim over that yeah not allowed to skim <laughs> no, over that. no no I, sorry. okay sorry no.
1: Um, so yeah Everything was fine and I'd done my 10 or 12 hours flying with an instructor and I went solo on your own up in the skies in a plane for the first time and it's it's amazing feeling. Came back, landed, thought, thought I was brilliant and all the rest and then the next day was my, my second solo and at this stage of only a few hours, you're, you're no maverick, you know and um, so I went up and taken off and I was at about 800 feet and silence, my engine failed. And I thought, that's it. Oh. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. I was saying Hail Marys and everything. It was definitely a turning point for me. I, I managed to somehow come back in. I turned around. I made the Mayday call and everything like that. I turned around and we there was an, another runway, not the one I'd taken off on, but a kind of similar to Dublin set up here. And I glided back in and landed there.
0: You glided without an engine. Yeah. <laughs> so you're in a situation where you've now gone and you've now done all of this. When comes the moment when you get the call, when you end up back here? Yeah,
1: so. So I came home, I had my private license, everything was great, and about two months after that, it was a phone call off Erlingus, and I'd been invited to the next round of, of interviewing. So it, it was kind of like, the only way I can describe it is like X Factor editions, you're true to the next round, you're true to the next round, and it was just, you know, you're looking at your phone, waiting on weight string, waiting on ring, and there was medicals, you met a psychologist, it was very intense, the whole experience. And then I'd say, well, I know the exact date and time and everything and where I was.
0: What does that phone call say?
1: So basically, I was in my hairdressers, who lives in Dundrum. She highlights in my hair. And I was getting very impatient because it was Friday and I was still waiting on this call. And I said to her, listen, I'm going to drive home. I'm going to leave this tinfoil in and I'll wash it out when I get home because I just, I'm just very disappointed now. I haven't got any call and I just want to go home. Yeah. So I'm driving down the M50, lashing rain. It's about half five. I'm stuck in traffic. The phone rings and I look and it's immobile and I don't recognize it. And he said, hello, Lisa. This is Captain John Kelly speaking. And John interviewed me. So I said, hello, John, how are you? And he said that I just want to be the first to congratulate you and say, welcome to Aer Can't say that without freaking out inside. It's amazing. I swear to God, it was the call I've been waiting for all my life. I'm not, I know that sounds so cheesy, but it, it was.
0: Would you describe yourself as successful?
1: Yeah, I guess I am now that I'm where I want to be. Yeah, in my eyes.
0: I have a number of questions for you, which may seem cheesy, but okay. they're ones that, are, given that I've never interviewed a pilot before in my life. In okay. fact, I think you're the first pilot I've ever spoken to. Are you to.
1: serious? That's so funny. Despite having,
0: you know, been spoken to by pilots on yeah. planes many yeah. times, I don't think I've ever spoken to one. Do you own a cool pair of aviator style sunglasses?
1: Absolutely. They're engraved with my name <laughs> Nice.
0: <laughs> and somebody told me, and I'm hoping, I'm so hoping this is true, that one of your favourite films is Top Gun.
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I can quote nearly the whole film <laughs> <laughs> the movie. Still watch it and not get bored. I know, it's so lame, isn't it? My Not friends are gonna passion. slag me when they no. hear this.
0: <laughs> uh, what do you do in your off time?
1: The thing is, we are off very random days, very you know, a lot of my friends are nine to five Monday to Friday, so you kinda have to make the most of a random Tuesday off so I do a lot of running I work out a good bit I play piano it's a lot of driving around to, to meet people and socialize like that.
0: Is it hard because I always presumed that, that as something like a pilot for instance you're right you work these very irregular very strange hours where you could be on for X yeah. period of time and then you're off for a few mm-hmm. days so is it hard to maintain friendships with people Definitely. when you're everywhere?
1: Definitely yeah absolutely and I feel lucky because before I was a pilot I did shift work for seven years in the airport so I know the life of shift Whereas maybe some of the guys that joined with me, they're shocked that we get one weekend off every eight weeks, you know, there's no going out every weekend and, and stuff like that. So you definitely do have to make an extra effort, but I'm, I'm used to it. It's fine.
0: And people have this preconception as well, that because you fly all over Europe or you fly to these, that you are that, that you you know all of these destinations hmm. intimately and that you've been a tourist <laughs> in all of these know, places. It doesn't make it work the that way. The reality of it? it
1: is we end up in our own bed every night. We don't stay. We might fly to Malaga, which is lovely and it's 30 degrees and we stay there for 30 minutes and then we fly home it is that always cool. it do you ever yeah. get to
0: stay over in, um, in other locations we do in
1: Heathrow. we have a we have um Heathrow overnights there and then the transatlantic obviously then as well so new york l.a san fran and stuff like that but that's that's about one or two years away from me yet
0: so therefore you're still flying to you know berlin and stockholm yeah. and yeah. bratislava and exactly. wherever and yeah. all you see is the inside of your own cockpit yeah before well, you fly we get home.
1: out we get out to walk around the plane and just inspect it on, on every turnaround and make sure everything's okay so you get to you get to breathe in a bit of the air <laughs> and then that's it and you're on your way you right.
0: get 10 minutes of sunshine yeah. and then you're back yeah. on the and plane it
1: surprisingly again. makes you feel really good you know you come back and it could be lashing rain here but you feel good because you've got 10 minutes of degree heat in Dubrovnik.
0: Given that you, you do the job that you do, and you're right, it's seen, bizarrely, it's seen as being unusual that you have the job that you have. Yeah. Have you ever had any adverse reaction from people, either personally or professionally?
1: Professionally, definitely not. Everybody is treated so equal, especially in Aer Lingus. We're all trained the exact same. I trained with a load of guys and you're just another pilot. It doesn't matter if you're male or female or what, but definitely in the public, it does cause a bit of a stir sometimes. It's not negative, it's positive. It's more kind of, I guess, surprise. You Know some passengers might see you when they're getting on or getting off the aircraft, and they might give a bit of a funny look or, or make a comment, Are you flying this plane? You know, a, a bit, a little bit, maybe concerned. And then it's usually a man who's elbowed by his wife to to shut up, but um, no, it's fine. A lot of them are quite proud and they feel the need to come up to you and say, Well done, or
0: is that in like the that. well done you way? I wake. know, I d- up yeah, plane. I
1: know, aren't you just great? Oh. I just don't know how to take it, so I kind of thanks very much, smile and wave, yeah, smile yeah, and wave, yeah, yeah okay, yeah.
0: and personally, and tell me to get lost because this is none of my business <laughs> yeah. but can you nail down like a personal relationship is that the, the hardest thing in the world yeah. to do because of scheduling and because of that
1: it's not hard a lot of the female pilots would find it's hard to meet a guy that's not afraid of female pilots mm. which is is actually a big issue so you wouldn't really broadcast it if you're out in bar or anything like that but most of the guys that I live with or whatever, they've got relationships and it's, you, you have to make it work or you'd have no life really. But um, personally myself, no.
0: Does that happen? Do you find that if you are in a social situation like that, and let's say they're, you know, they're men, they're chatting, mm. the moment that they realise that mm-hmm. you have a powerful job, that you have a job that is, you know, that is considered to be something that people look up to and are sometimes overawed yeah. by the idea of people flying planes in the sky, mm-hmm. that they go, oh, and yeah. that it changes their attitude completely. Yeah,
1: definitely. I don't uh, understand it. In the 21st century? Mm. Yeah, so I just work in the airport. That's what I do, which isn't technically a lie.
0: (laughs) Do you find it strange that sometimes, as I've seen happening, I mean, you are held up on a pedestal as an example of a trailblazer in your career, which is what you are.
1: Thank you. Yeah, I definitely do. For me, I, I can't even believe that anyone would actually be interested in the story. For me, it was just my life and what I had to do. And I didn't really think it was particularly interesting or anything like that. So I'm just kind of going with it and trying to give back. And while I have the opportunity, I suppose.
0: One of the questions I've asked of everybody in this series is about people's relationships to social media. Yeah. What's your relationship with social media?
1: I like Instagram. It's a tough one because, especially with recent, um, maybe, publicity, there's there's a lot of negativity out there as well, so.
0: And do you experience that?
1: A little bit, not too much. I'd say 99% has been overwhelming, positive and lovely messages off complete strangers. But, you know, it's out there. People begrudge and all the rest of that, but that's just... That's this life really, I guess.
0: But do you ever broadcast pictures of places that you go? Are you one of those people who when um, you're off on your on your travels, you're going, Look at this, this I is
1: probably fantastic. would be, yeah. Because I, I have
0: thought, friends who are like that you know and I just hate them universally because they're somewhere better than I am. <laughs>
1: the way I Isn't look that terrible?
0: It is. It's an awful it's feeling life. to have.
1: I sacrificed so much to get here. I didn't do the year in Australia, I didn't do all the fancy trips and everything like that. And so now I'm in a position where I can go on them for very good value yeah. as well and and so if people want to begrudge that of me it wasn't handed to me so i don't feel my friends and family they support me and that's all that matters, I guess, really.
0: It's genuinely a gentle begrudgery, it really is. It's more one of those, I <laughs> oh, oh, wish I was there. Tell me about another thing which weirdly I never thought would come up as part of this series is people's relationship when it comes to talking and texting. Some yes. people will only do one, some people will only do the other, some people completely absent themselves from it. Are you a talker or a texter?
1: I am a texter and in the car, a talker.
0: Because I have some people who I've spoken to who they, they would literally say, if my phone rings and someone wants to talk to me, I go, what's wrong with you? Why don't you just text me?
1: <laughs> yeah, I'd be quite similar. I don't like random phone call kind of, you know. I, I, yeah, I would prefer texting, definitely. But if I'm in the car, passes a bit of time to make a phone call.
0: What's been the best adventure you've had yet as part of all of this?
1: Well, it's probably um recent trip. I took myself on my own to Alabama and I flew to Orlando and hired a pickup truck, the biggest one I could find, and I drove to Alabama and I drove all around there. for Why? <laughs> Why not? Awesome. I just like doing thi- I like to be a bit different and do different things and not kind of go with the flow and visit the regular cities that most people go to. So, yeah, I, dro- I hired a pickup truck and I drove all around Alabama and had an amazing that was just in November a few months ago so met some amazing people I could barely see over the wheel it was so big but they were so nice they were so welcoming there was a family that took me into their house for Thanksgiving I went along of course and they just they're, they're very set in their ways it's around the time of Trump and the election and everything so I just kept maybe my opinions to myself mm-hmm. and so I fit it in nicely and they're very welcoming They some of them had never even heard of Ireland you don't leave your state over there yeah. you know, not mind America you don't leave Alabama so they're going Ireland how how far away are you from London can you can you drive there
0: are you part so, of England
1: yeah, yeah so I've I got a lot of that before. but yeah, yeah. no they were very nice and it was a pretty exciting adventure
0: just before we finish I have a couple of other things I want to ask you yeah. about. music is obviously important in everybody's lives and in what <laughs> we do what do you like what do you listen to
1: I just like relaxing music chilled out kind of Vance Joy style music, but I, I'm open to all sorts of music.
0: And when we're talking chilled out, are we talking about, you know, you know road I mean? trip tunes? Yes. Okay. Do you, do you have like a, a streaming music service and do you have playlists that you've yes. made up on that mm-hmm. that have all of your favourite stuff?
1: Yeah, I use Spotify. Okay.
0: What would yeah. you find on that? <laughs>
1: Suddenly I just downloaded my favourite piano player, which is really lame, Ludovico Inaudi. Okay. Mm -hmm. He's coming to the O2 in in July, so I got my tickets. I actually booked a solo ticket for myself to go and see him in Berlin in June just on my own. I said, I'll catch a flight and go and see him. And then out of nowhere, he booked a Dublin gig, so I got those tickets as well.
0: Okay. And what about radio? Is that, is that part of your life ever?
1: It is in the car. I definitely listen in the car. And then when I'm away, if I'm ever on, well, I know when I was doing the training down in Spain, um, it was comforting to kind of tune into Irish radio and listen to the lovely voices of you guys. So yeah, um, definitely in the car. That'd be my biggest time that I listened to
0: it. Have you ever been properly starstruck by somebody so far in the, in the process of all of this?
1: Yes. <laughs> Okay. It's quite embarrassing, <laughs> but um, I have met some celebrities over here, and I wouldn't kind of be phased or anything by, by stuff like that, but in London, we do night stops in London and just out for some dinner, and um, I met the one and only secret crush of mine, Piers Morgan. <laughs> Go on Yeah, (laughs) He was very very nice I just love his wit And his humour I just He's very funny He's got a dry sense of humour That just makes me laugh a lot And Yeah he was in the In the restaurant With his I think wife And It turned out that um, He had dropped his wallet And my colleague Had found it And so that's how The conversation all started And we said hello And he's very nice and I couldn't resist telling him. I was a massive fan, which was a really embarrassing. I'm sure he gets it all the time. But he was, you know, the way they say don't meet, well, he's not my hero, but mm. don't meet, you know, he didn't disappoint. He was very nice.
0: He didn't, you know, steal anything from his wallet. His no, no. Just for And he actually thanked
1: anything. us. He looked in it and he said, thanks very much for so not stealing he didn't anything. Take anything. Yeah. yeah, okay, yeah and then my colleague said there was only 10 pound in it. There was nothing worth stealing. So he was very fun. He was good, good fun.
0: Have you ever Googled yourself?
1: Yes, I have. And it was only about three weeks ago because my dad, my dad found me over and told me that he googled me and lo and behold, there's a Captain Lisa Cusack in Star Trek. So I had to Google it to see. That's wonderful. I know, I know. And sure enough, there is. A Captain Lisa Cusack. Now she dies in the end apparently, but um, Dad thought this is brilliant so I googled myself.
0: And I mean, you know, obviously everybody who hears this now is going to go away and Google it anyway. Mm. Is this in old Star Trek? Is this oh, very in, old, in So this is old. in the original yeah. Star yeah. Trek, there's a Captain Lisa Cusack. I know,
1: you couldn't write it.
0: <laughs> and, and, uh, and
1: Dad is a big Star Trek fan, cannot believe he missed this. He was really annoyed at himself.
0: Are you sure that's just his story to you and he didn't name you <laughs> after that character in Star Trek?
1: I'm not quite sure, actually. That's funny.
0: What happens for you now, you have the job that you've worked so hard to get mm-hmm. all of your life, you're not at the bottom rung of, of your career, but you're you're kind of starting there. Yeah. Well, where does this go from here?
1: Um, so the next step, hopefully for me, um, in about three years time, I'll start my command process uh, towards being a captain, which is huge, a huge process and like a lot of training, a lot of study. So that's, that's my next goal, so I'm studying now for it, you know, it's years of study and to move over, uh, the co-pilot, which is me, sits on the right seat, the captain is always in the left, so it's a switch over to the left side and it's just a huge responsibility, huge, huge. So that's the next goal for me that I'm aiming towards. And how
0: long does that take?
1: From starting in Erlingus, it takes within about five or six years, you'd hopefully start the process and the process takes maybe maybe a year or so.
0: And if I've learned anything, I think, over the length of this conversation with you, you can't wait for that to No,
1: happen. I can't wait. I never I never thought I'd be, well, touch wood, a captain with Arlingus one day. It's a dream. It's a dream come true. So that's that's the next goal. But only, you know, if you work hard and everything still. So it's not over. You know, people think, oh, you've worked so hard, but it's continuous. And, you know, every six months we're put back in a simulator, we're trained again and we get tests and everything like that. So it's continuous.
0: Lisa Kuzik, it has been incredible talking to you here today in Dublin Report. this has been brilliant thank you very much
1: thank you so much
0: this episode was produced by Ethna Kelly the series producer is Alice O'Sullivan I'm Rick O'Shea thanks for downloading originators you'll find details about this and all the rest of the episodes in the series on the RTE 2FM website at 2fm.ie slash the collective
1: the collective 2FM